the other three amigos podcast with Damien Shreenan, Wayne Mullins and Declan McCormack. Three lads, one podcast. Welcome along to Totap Talks. We are joined this week. It's not like we have one of these every week, actually. We're joined this time by ex-Cork City player Dara O'Connor. Welcome to the pods, Dara. How's it going? Thanks for having me. You well? Are you in Scotland at the moment? I am. I am currently in air in a, an apartment I moved into just during the week. No, finally settled. Okay. 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 So you joined. Uh, you joined uh, Air United. Tell me. Um, you played last night at Tuna. You Tuna lost to Kilmarnock. Um, you came on as a sub. How How are you settling in over there at the moment? Yeah, good. I'm enjoying it to be honest. Um, just a, a fresh start somewhere new, new challenge, new people to kind of meet and new people to impress. It kind of just ticked a lot of boxes for me. So. Um, I'm only in the door three or four days, so obviously I wouldn't have expected to, to start last night. But um, I came on, did well from a, a personal point of view. But uh, there's a long season ahead, so I think Kilmarnock would probably be a favourite for the league. So uh, he probably deservedly won last night, if I'm being honest. Okay, okay, okay. We we will we will come back to the Air United stuff in a minute. We just I suppose this pod we just want to, we want to have a chat. We want to see what's going on. We want to see what went on, um, and we want to, so that's that's pretty much where we're here. We're we're investigative podcasters, um, not journalists yet. We haven't received media accreditation. Yeah, on the journalist part of here, is it? Yeah. we're not we're definitely not we're definitely not journalists. We were anyway. We were thrown out of Cork City's media um, like friends. Um, we're no longer friends with the club or anything like that. They hate us, and, but it's fine. It's fine. We're okay with that. So, you came from UCD, and you were really, really great success with UCD. Obviously, scored a cracker in the Collingwood Cup, uh, twenty eighteen. You signed then in twenty nineteen, uh, the end of twenty, the end of twenty eighteen for the twenty nineteen season under John Caulfield. What were the expectations when you signed? Did, you know, did John Caulfield sell the club? Well, oh, just by the way, first the signing video where you had. Did you really have pegs holding back your shirt? To show off your guns no. more, just before we go there. I, I I absolutely did not. Um, I believe the circumstances there was there was only a small jersey in Bishop Sound available at the time, and that was bad to make you. And I I brought it I brought it up because I, I, I knew I was going to get slated by my mates at home. Whatever about the the court faithful, uh, I went out of my way to try to get a medium, but alas, there there was there was none apparently anyway. But that's from what I maybe okay. maybe I maybe I convinced myself that's what happened, but that's what I that was not happened anyway. Because I'm telling you, you wore that shirt well, Dara. Okay. Um. <laughs> no, it was, it, was good for, it was good for the Instagram at the time, like. But uh, I, I wish Q, it was half a size bigger. Half a size bigger. Q, Q every sixteen-year-old boy in Cork now, uh, the way they stand now, of course, is they they put fold their arms and they push their knuckles out behind their arms, and um, because of they do, they call it. It's called the Dara O'Connor. That's exactly what it's called. I don't think that's, I don't it's think not, that's stuck now quite, quite, but it, quite it sounds good. accurately as that, but uh, <laughs> 100%. As I was saying, so so anyway, so let's, let's get back to the serious stuff. And so John Caulfield, he signed you. I presume he it was, was it an easy move to make? Did he sell the club well? You know, where did he say he wanted to go with, the, go with you and the team? You know, what was, what, was, what was the whole story? Yeah, so to be brutally honest with you, it came out of, absolute thin air as far as I'm concerned like I I had um literally just agreed to begin my master's at UCD which I actually had started this at uh, late August early September so six or seven weeks into that and uh, moved into accommodation had been accepted on a master's scholarship everything was going good for another 18 months at UCD to be honest and I think I went to watch the cup final where he unfortunately lost to Dundalk 2-1 um mm-hmm. I hate to say it, but I went 
partially as a Dundalk fan at the time because my mates were playing in Georgie Kelly, who was that in the squad at the time, and a few others that I knew. Just finish it here, lads. Just drop it. Unfortunately, as much as there was a cork in me, I know I didn't really know anyone on the cork team. I was out of the loop for a long time, do you know what I mean? And you want to see your mates do well, like. Now, obviously, the, the core game, me wanted the core to do well, like, but to be honest, it was more so I wanted the, the lads themselves to do well more so than anything. But anyway, I watched that game and I remember I was got my cap at half time for the Irish universities. So I would have been chatting to likes of Shane Daly Butts, I think was there. Um, mm-hmm. Lads, yeah. I didn't really make the squad, likes of Ronan Hurley, a few other boys. And they were just telling me how they're getting on, blah, 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 and say, oh, I'd love to play for Cork, this, that, and the other. Like, it's a great setup. And obviously, I wouldn't be a million miles away because you lads are in the squad as well, and we're in the same level, universities, yada, yada, yada. And then next day, two or three o'clock, the day after the cup final, uh, the phone rings, and I'm hearing that Caulfield wants to get me down on the Wednesday to meet me and show me around, which they usually probably heard this story where footballers think it's a prank call that, oh, so-and-so is calling you, will you move here and move there? Because... <laughs> I had very little interest elsewhere because I think a lot of clubs just realised I'd agreed to do another 18 months in UCD. So no club okay. really went out of their way to kind of get me. Now, I obviously had a, an agent at the time who looked after Kieran Sadlier who probably realised that he was on his way out and probably put a word in at the same time that I could go in. So that's potentially how it came about, whether that is the reality or not, I'm not sure. But listen, within 24 hours, I was on a train down to Cork. Caulfield picked me up from, I think, the train station. Drove me around Soho, uh, Turner's Cross, uh, brought me to Bishopstown, the whole the whole shebang, Maradike, everything like that. So, listen, he, he, as you all know, he's he's probably a very good salesman, and uh, I think within five minutes, I'd probably have agreed to go to Cork. If I'm being honest, it was it was it was as quickly done as that. So then I had the the tough news or the tough decision to go back and tell you today. Listen, thanks for giving me the scholarship, this that and the other, but uh, I'm I'm off to Cork which probably didn't go down too well at the time, but in hindsight, it was probably the, the right thing to do. And so obviously John had told you kind of like, um, you know, this is the training ground, this is the pitch, this is where we train the Marlick Arena, uh, all these wonderful things that we have. What was his, I suppose, surely I presume the manager would have said, we want to finish top two this year. Was his, you know, did he kind of tell the, t- the players and yourself where where the aim was for the season? Yeah, I was on the firm belief that Cork were going to win the league honestly it was I was going in thinking okay well they just came second last year I know they kind of faded away towards the end of the season but it was the same core group of players I just kept waiting and waiting for them to make kind of a marquee signing like to kind of replace the lads the bigger names I had left I was kind of thinking well hey I'm hardly brought in as the ready-made replacement for people that scored Mm -hmm. 24 goals 25 goals last year and week after week I kept waiting for someone to come in but Nobody ever did. So that was kind of like maybe small alarm bells thinking, okay, we might not be as strong as last year. And that wasn't me putting any pressure on myself, thinking I was the replacement because I firmly believe I wasn't. I think I was a probably a bit of a gamble, to be honest, that just initially paid off in the, in the original few weeks anyway, wherever you want to assess the remaining 18 months is up to yourselves. But um, I think originally Caulfield was very firm on an absolute minimum Europe. And that's he loved Europe. He kept talking about Europe and how, his teams that love playing in Europe and everything was kind of geared towards that, which is a byproduct ultimately of probably winning the league and doing the Champions League route. 
So to answer that question, no, definitely he he, uh, he was under no illusion that we'd, we'd be up there in the top one or two for sure. Yeah, because I suppose the the money had been spent. You know, there was, there was you know, I don't know whether the players were aware that at the time, you know, <laughs> there was fierce financial unrest. The likes of James Tilly came in, Darren Rainsford, Gary Boyle, and which and I presume you know, you know, not exactly Marquis signings. The money had uh, there was there wasn't much money there. There was obviously a change in the board then, obviously, and you know it was a lot more tighter. The the funds were a lot tighter because they were trying to catch back on 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 a loss and all these things. Just sure. there was a question came actually just just on that, um, and it, from Francie on the CCSC forums. How aware how aware were the players and staff of the financial situation the club was in? Do you think, like at the start of the season, did did it affect morale and stability on a day to day basis? Um, not really. Indirectly, you could look at it in a way that I think at one stage in training, I was counting maybe twenty five, twenty six mm. players, like not senior pros per se, but a lot of people that would kind of think I'm in with a chance of playing, and you'd know from like their stature in football that they would have been on a relatively decent wage. And yes. this, is, this is before you add in, let's say, five or six 19s lads that are hovering around the place that probably weren't on as much money. But I remember, I think it was the first game against Dundalk in the President's Cup. President's Cup, yeah. Um, obviously, when you're starting 11, you'd are uh, lads on the bench. And then I'd say there was seven or eight, if not nine lads in the stands, all on relatively good League of Ireland money, just sitting in the stands, not even togging out. So that was the first time I kind of clocked, okay, hang on a minute, we have a massive squad here and there's a lot of money being spent on what seemed like, I don't know if it's harsh to say stockpiling, but it's probably the most accurate word that rather than putting a large chunk towards, let's say, two top quality signings, we seem to, my initialing, and I wouldn't say it at the time, was that we probably spread out to cover, okay, we'll have three left backs, we'll have two of this, we'll have three there, good cover rather than extreme quality. Yeah. And I think that probably showed over the course of the season that we had a lot, a lot of playing staff rather than a shorter kind of squad yeah. of extreme quality and then topped up by youth lads. If you had like spent that budget on 16 top pros yeah. and then supplemented that with five or six young lads, in hindsight, it's easy to say, but at the time when good players are available and you potentially have the budget to bring them in, I can fully see at the time why they were brought in and don't get me wrong the majority of them when you look back individually were all good players it was just a matter of impossible to keep them all happy okay and so then you made your debut the president's cup dundalk you played st pat's away and and i'm going to just quote actually wayne here because wayne i'm not going to say his forum name but wayne (laughs) and i'm just going to quote uh, what was said Best debut performance since the Jordan Flynn show in 2002. Absolute baller. Sadly, or won't be missed. The With the hype, and, 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 I, and I was on the board, and I'll be honest now, I was on the board at the time, and I remember I was up at the same Pats match, and I watched you play. And I said to the other board, lads, this guy is going to make us a fortune. Sell him. <laughs> right? No, but I, I genuinely said, oh my God, have we got this guy for another two years? This is... So I mean, you had you you had a, such an exciting start. I mean, it was unbelievable. You were, you I mean, Pat Dolan, Irish Messi, Mick McCarthy was looking at you. You know, it yeah. was it, we were we were all hyped up. You didn't get an injury, and the injury um, against Bowes, which kept you out for a long time. Then you yeah. came back, and you came back. Time. John Caulfield was gone when you came back. John Cotter yeah. had taken over. 
How were you feeling? What went? There's loads of people asking, you know, and I'm, I'm absolutely tons of questions about what went on for the rest of the season. Yeah. I, every now and then I always get like flashback of what potentially could have happened if that injury, if I didn't fall or if Conor McCarty didn't whack it into my hip and I fell. Do you know what I mean? It's one of these things that I look back on it. What if one small thing didn't actually happen? Where, where could I have been? Because obviously football is such a funny game of momentum that when it's with you, everything just comes off and things can happen very quickly um, in a positive way. But just as much things can go the other way just as quickly. And it was probably... Um, probably just went that way for me to be honest like I dislocated my shoulder obviously and I was very eager to get back quickly I'd seen that the team wasn't necessarily doing well we we didn't collapse by any means but we were just we were scraping by and there was no alarm bells massively yet the league had probably been given up at that stage but there was definitely still a hunt for Europe when Caulfield towards the end of his tenure I suppose then things started to get panicky but ultimately by the time I got back fully fit Caulfield was gone and it was probably just a big domino effect of everything. Of I'm, I'm sure Cotter was given a mandate to clear the wage bill because the amount of players that were in on good money that would the board and everything. From what you hear, I would assume that that was the task because every day you'd come into training and it felt like somebody else was gone, somebody else was gone, somebody else was gone. And it felt like I was in that category of Dara, off you, 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 off you go kind of thing which I, for many, many days and weeks leading up, I was like, no, I, I don't want to go. I want to play. I want to play. And it just never, never played me, no matter what I did in training. I just never seemed to, to, to play. And then I, I think, was it the, uh, I think it was the Europa League, Europa League home game when we lost 2-1. Uh, was it 2-1? 2-0? 2-0, Jesus. 2-1, yeah. Was it 2-1? Two, two, two no, Shep missed the penalty. I think it was Shep missed the penalty, that's right. Yeah, I, I remember that was... I, see, I remember sitting on the bench for, I don't even, I remember sitting on the bench for, say, five, ten minutes after the final whistle was blown there, and I was like, okay, I, I think I do actually need to go, because that was probably the most demoralising moment of that season for me, that we were chasing the game, we were 2-0 down, we changed shape, and I still wasn't brought on as the third sub. I think we brought on a right back, or a right wing back, instead of, instead of me as the last sub. And in my head, I was like, right, I'm, I think I'm gone, I, I have to go now, that, like, that's the final nail in the coffin. And I'd more or less everything agreed to go to Pats, if I'm being brutally honest with you. And everything was more or less agreed. And then on deadline day, I was told, no, that that's not happening anymore. Um, not by Pats, obviously, but by Cork. So something changed very last minute. And then I was I started the away leg out in Luxembourg, did well, set up the goal for Conor Mack, was flying. And then I was out of the team again. <laughs> it was as if... Oh, uh, your your heads your heads your heads away. You what you wanted to go to Pats. We're playing Pats next week. You're on the phone to Harry Kenny last week. You're not playing this week. And I was like, okay, I see the logic. But at the same time, like I'm hardly not going to play well just because I was chatting to him last week. If anything, I'm going to want to press him even more. And that was it. I was out of the team and just never really got a full look in again. You get half an hour here. I might get sixty minutes there. And I think as any attacker anywhere will tell you that they. They need three or four games under their belt to fully hit that momentum. And it was just never there again until Fenn came in. And I think I scored four or five goals in the last 10 games and finished finished quite strongly. It was that middle three months, really, that kind of killed everything for me that season, if I'm being, if I'm being honest. And just before we move on to Neil Fenn, why do you think 
you weren't getting a look and was there any reason you know did did you not get on with John Collar did, no, did you play honestly I, to this day I just don't know despite him never playing me I, I still don't have a bad word to say about him I got on well with him it was, like, it was just no matter what I did if I had a good training or a bad training session I just felt like no matter what I was doing in in hindsight yeah I, I when I got my chances there was probably times where I was dropping six out of tens or seven out of tens in games which you have to hold your hand up there that wasn't good enough but it was at the same time I was looking around that other people were dropping five out of tens, four out of tens, six out of tens, but yet they were continuously playing. And it was the whole team, to be honest, at that stage just wasn't doing well. And as fans, you're probably the first people to point that out to us. And it was the truth. We just weren't. And it was just it was just a messy, messy time. Whether I was playing or not playing, it just felt like no matter what anyone did, nothing was coming off on the pitch, be it me or the, team or the other lads on the pitch. It was just that kind of environment just wasn't, wasn't right. It particularly... In the training ground, as I mentioned earlier, like you'd have two, you you'd show up to training on Monday morning, and the two lads wouldn't be there. They were they were let go, or they were they were released, or they were whatever. They they were mutually terminated a contract, and then you'd see somebody was signed the next day, and it was just it was just carnage for around four or five weeks. I think, from what I remember, if I'm from being honest, like. Yeah, and, and actually, there was a question later on about uh, you know about the, cl- the club and the background um, and things like that. So we, we we will get onto that. And there were rumors that the first team didn't want to play under under John Connor for some. I, I don't know what that is. That was just something I picked up. You don't have to answer that. And it's, it's I, you just said it's a mess. It was a mess. Yeah, like I I'll kind of half backtrack here. I loved playing for John Garfield. But like I fully bought into everything he had about the club, the way he built the club up. It was Cork against the rest of Ireland. It was this kind of very much a Cork City cultural thing, and I fully I bought into it, and I loved playing under him. And he went out of his way to make sure I was doing well and everything was working, and that I was happy. I was happy in where I was staying, and I was the food okay. And it was probably the case that how do you, how do you say it? when by the time. I came back fit, he was gone. And that was a bit of a shock for me, obviously, because I was so used to working under him to suddenly then it's a new it's a new face and you don't have that same bond. That could have been an element to it. Obviously, it's tough as an assistant when it's sometimes you're a good cop, bad cop. But if you're a good cop, let's say, which Cotter probably was when he was assistant, suddenly has to be the manager and then go out of the way to cane boys at half time. It's just a different dynamic. More often than not, I, I think when assistant managers go up, across the world like it, it is very hard to be successful like because it's such a change in dynamic so uh, there was a lot there was a few questions came in um pad mac he said uh, you seem to be more cautious when you came back from injury and um, were you happy at the time the way you were playing uh love the podcast keep up the good work and another one as well from groucho um on the ccsc forums he said you look so good in your de- your debut and your early days but it w- you know, you never, you didn't seem to reproduce that again. Do you have any reasons or thoughts or why or in mental thoughts as to why that never happened? Yeah, so coming back from that injury, there was a very, there was a big mental block that the shoulder just feels like, and it's hard to explain from a, a words point of view, let's say that at any time it feels like your shoulder could fall off again. And that's the reality of it because it's, you're, when you dislocate your shoulder, ultimately it's hanging off. And mentally when you see that and you feel how weak it is, it's very hard to just forget about that when you're back playing because it takes a long, long time for it to feel fully structured and healed again. Like I, I, when I came back fit, it was probably only at 60, 70%. And there's times you're running. And if I watch videos back, I'm actually carrying the shoulder as if 
I, if I get smashed here, my shoulder's going to fall off again. And it took a lot of time for me to kind of just forget about it. And I needed, there was times I was going home and I was purposely falling on the couch. I was falling two or three steps down the stairs just to brace that impact again. So in my initial kind of coming back phase, I definitely think it held me back from a mental point of view, thinking that it was just going to, if I fall, I'm going to dislocate it again. And that's very tough to overcome. And a lot of people that dislocate the shoulder say the same thing. It's like dislocating any part of your body. Once you see some part of your body hanging off, it's mm-hmm. it's kind of traumatizing the way you need, you need to fully make sure that it's structured again before you can go in and smash someone in a 50-50 or burst past the wing and run properly. Do you know what I mean? It's And it took probably, by the time I was, I think I was out for maybe eight, nine weeks and probably took another four or five weeks to fully overcome that and be, okay, fully confident that, Right, I I can play fully. Okay, so we so yeah, okay. Look, that's 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 fair enough. We we're not football players. We don't know what goes through. No, mentally, and just know, so. just just on that, obviously, the last thing. So the other element of that is when you're not playing regularly, you're not match fit, and if you're not match fit, you're not fully sharp. And it was a domino effect of okay, I'm minding the shoulder. Okay, I'm only playing half an hour here. Jesus, okay, I didn't do it great. I'm only going to get 15 minutes next week. And it's just a small week by week domino effect of just knocking you back, knocking you back, knocking you back. And it was at the stage then when Dill caught, uh, caught his last few games. I wasn't making squads. I wasn't in the squad for Cabin Healy mm-hmm. away. I wasn't in the squad for God forbid that game when we lost to Galway in the cup. And I remember Fenn, I think Fenn was announced the day before, was he? And I think he was in the stands and he came up to me and was like, are you injured? Like, why are you not playing? And when he found out I was flying fit, he couldn't believe it. Like, and I was straight in under him and... He was good to me in a way. Like, we kind of set out a plan, right? We'll, we'll play 62 day, two weeks in a row. We'll give you 75, 75, 90, 90, and you'll be fully up to speed. And hand of my heart, I think that worked. I finished that season quite strongly. I mightn't have been the same electric player I was in the first couple of games, but I was getting back to that kind of rhythm of playing yeah. every week. And as I said, I probably I'd scored four or five goals towards in the last 10 games since he come in. And I just wanted another 10 games. I wanted another 10, 15 games in the league, and I felt... I, w- I would have, I was almost there and then bam, pulled for me again. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. it, was, it was frustrating because then you have to wait three months for preseason to come back again. And there was just a dominant, a very, very small delayed domino effect from when I dislocated the shoulder to just never fully being at it like that I should have been. Do you know what I mean? And um, so, yeah, you spoke with Neil Fenn coming in. How did the squad react to the, the management changes? So obviously went from Caulfield to John Cotter and then from John Cotter to Neil Fenn. How did, how did the squad react, I think, when Neil Fenn was was announced as the um, permanent manager? Um, it was probably mixed. Like a lot of people would have been very loyal to John Cotter over the years, like the lads who would have been there for a few years and been there with him since day one. They won doubles together. And then there was obviously the newer lads that probably weren't getting a look in. And if you're not getting a look in, you, you just want to get playing again. So I seen it as a new opportunity. And to be fair, when Fenn came in, he was a breath of fresh air. He came in, he was confident. He had that kind of swagger, a bit of arrogance about him. And he said, look, lads, you're, you're, you're all going to do well for me. You're a good bunch of players. You've just been, you've had a rough year. Let's finish the season well. And um, we'll have a right go at it next year. And just gave us that freedom to go out and perform in his first couple of games. And yeah, I, I love the initial, that kind of honeymoon period when he came in because I was playing every week and we were doing well. And as I said, then the season was over before we kind of got going. And we, I know we, we beat Dundalk towards the end with a good win against UCD and things like that. So it was just the bad mm-hmm. timing of it that the season was just ending as we were kind of getting into the groove of things, which to say, I think if we had another five, 10 games, we, we, we probably would have done, done quite well, I think. So the season finished, obviously, it was um, it was a you know, poor end, but the 2020 season was coming up. 
It's fine. We signed players like Connor Davis, Charlie Fleming, Henry Oching, Stabana, uh, Corey Galvin, Liam Boston, Dayton Darling, Ryan Dillon, Joseph Alou, and many more throughout the season. Fenwick Simpson. Many um, more. Yeah. So. You talk, You spoke about, you know, looking at the squad or um, under Caulfield kind of going, okay, we've got, you know, a couple of players here who are kind of a, you know, core and then you've got a lot of squad. Did you think the signings that were made were ready for what Neil Fenn wanted? Honestly, probably not. I don't think they were probably all his first choice signings based on brief conversations we had. Like in preseason, I remember I would have come down once or twice a week in, November, in early December from Dublin just to do running out in the back pitch with Gamble and the rest of the boys. Like, there was optional sessions where I came down and I'd be chatting to Fenn about play and they'd be like, oh, I want to get him, I want to get this player. Very good players that have gone on to play League of Ireland and further afield, to be honest with you. That And he just couldn't get them down. That players just didn't want to come down to Cork. Um, it just wasn't as attractive as it used to be and probably didn't have the financial package to sway people from Dublin that like we used to before. So he was probably left with, for a lot of the part, plan B and plan C and then probably relying on contacts back home for mm-hmm. loan loans and lads from England, which are quite hit and miss at times, like over the last couple of years. And it felt probably that the squad was scrambled together during preseason. And there was trialists coming in from left, right and center. And there was, we had one fellow over from Austria. I picked him up in the airport. Like I was nearly like the player liaison officer last preseason. Every second day I was out to Cork Airport to pick fellas up, <laughs> bringing them back, making their beds, bringing them to Aldi, making sure they were getting food. And I was, I was literally, I was delegated that task. Like there were times after training, Fender pulled me over and I'm thinking he's going to have a chat about how I played at the weekend. He's like, what are you doing? What are you doing this evening? And I was like, oh, I'm going home and watch Netflix or whatever. And he goes, will you go to the airport for me? We need to, we need to collect A, B and C. And I'd be like, yeah, sure, no problem. <laughs> I'd be getting, like, we, we brought this guy over from Austria. Um, Julian was his name. Absolute warrior of a player, like pure dog. Technically, very bang average. He said to me he'd play for, he wanted to come over, he'd play for 100 quid a week. And he, he absolutely loved it here. Like, he would, he would, the type of player that would die in the pitch, basically. But they, they weren't having him and they, they sent him home. And I've kept in touch with him since. And he's the kind of player we probably needed in hindsight. Um, and all, all the other lads kind of got on well with him. He was, a, he was a funny enough character, broken English. But like in training, he'd nearly snap people's legs just in five sides for the fun of it. But that was the kind of preseason we had. We'd kind of lads yep. coming in from here, from there, and not knowing if they're actually going to be coming in or not. And, you know, it was just messy. But And, and we, again, there was, there, was, there was a lot of financial problems especially going into that season you know did, did were you more aware of how bad the finances were going into the 2020 season yeah I, I would have I would have been for the most part particularly the lads that would have been on as let's say Caulfield contracts in the year before so let's say Shane Griffin was there I think Dan Casey would they all had year, another year left on their contracts and I remember chatting to them and they'd be like, oh, look, we're we're off elsewhere because more or less probably saying they need to free up the budget. As far as I can get in there, don't quote me on that, but that, that's what it seemed like. Yeah. And we were losing quality, two quality players and probably bringing in four or five lesser quality players. And that just seemed to be this, the kind of the story of it. And then hoping that the lads from England would be our saving grace. That being said, the week leading up to the season, I was quite confident. I really was. Um, we, we beat Longford, I think, out in... Uh, we beat Longford, at, I think it was out in Mayfield, I think. We had a few other relatively decent preseason performances. And I was, I genuinely was thinking, like, we, we have a chance here. Because I was looking around and individually, 
to this day, I would say the majority of them were actually good players. It was just a case of not knowing fully what way are we going to play. And that was to no fault of Fenn. He wanted us to play a certain way in pre-season. And then all of a sudden you're thrown in against Shamrock Rovers away, Dundalk away. You've conceded nine goals between Friday, Saturday and Monday, Saturday, Sunday and Monday. And the whole perception of how you are is completely changed because we've shipped so many goals and we've been absolutely battered and the whole country thinks we're a laughing stock. So I definitely think if those two fixtures weren't thrown at us so early, we may have been able to gather some momentum. But okay. it was it was just a sickener to, to be battered so quickly into the season. So is, is that what you think went wrong for Neil Finn that, you know, we had a, a decent pre-season, this is where we were playing, and suddenly... We, we get destroyed. Um, and yeah, he, such, he did, did, did he know what he was going? Did he know what was he, he was doing? Did he? Did he? Was he, he did, to, I'll get to this later because ultimately they shafted me in the end and they booted me out. But hand to my heart, I could not fault Fen or Gamble for their effort throughout the season, like to the smallest detail and to an extent, probably too detailed. By the end of it, they were just trying to bring it back to basics that they were trying to put all these sessions on for us. And it was just going over a lot of people's heads, whether that's their fault or the player's fault. Probably there's probably a gray area where it's a bit of both. And they'll probably say the same. And we probably say the same that no matter what we tried, we tried so many different systems. We tried this, we tried that. We tried tough training sessions. We tried light training sessions and just nothing worked. (laughs) And that's the blunt reality of it. So like they were, despite the kind of choppiness of preseason bringing in players from left, right and centre. I did feel like we had a good preseason. I did feel we were fit. Did we deserve to lose to Shell's first game? I think a draw would have been a fair result. Ten men down to Tala against the best team in the league and you lose, I think it was a 5 or 6 nil. That just obliterated us. I think that was the quietest journey home that I've ever been on before in my life. Knowing in 72 hours we have to go up and play Dundalk away. Mm. It was just so mentally draining so early on in the season. MSCCasino.com, Ireland's new and exciting online bookmaker and casino. Sign up today and see what lies in store for you. You'll find a wide range of markets on a huge selection of sports from across the globe. Play for fun and rewards at MSCCasino.com. Please gamble responsibly. 18 and over. Visit gambleaware.ie. Moving on. So, on a Tuesday... You were pulled aside after training by manager Neil Fenn and pointed, uh, you were told, you had no future at the club. Uh, just a quote from yourself, it says you were surprised, uh, there was no bust up, no fallout, I showed up to training, I was pulled in and told, look, you're not going to be part of our plans, you're not going to be playing for the rest of the season no matter what happens. And you quoted again for yourself, I was a bit baffled as I'd broken my back, uh, broken, broken back into the team, broken my back, broken back into the team, have a nothing in it. I couldn't wrap my head around it. Gradually, he didn't, he didn't want me there for some reason. Deep down, I know it wasn't a personal thing. As there was no falling out, no scraps. You'd nearly look for an excuse to give yourself, uh, but I haven't been able to find one. And finally, just a little quote that I was told I wouldn't feature in any capacity, regardless of what I did, which didn't sound awfully fair to me at the time. So this this happened, and there was like five, six games left in the season. Yeah. As fans, and I can tell you, as fans, we were furious because we were saying, you know, the six games left, surely, you know, one of our cre- most creative players, why in the name of God would you get rid of the guy who can put the ball into the box, who can run at players, who can do something when we're fighting yeah. to, to stay up? No. Tell us, what, why, why, why? 
Damien, yeah, sorry, so... just before you start, can I just back? Can I just back up to the Friday night because that was the Friday night against yeah. Pats where we played abysmally and Dara and Dylan McGlade were taken off. I I don't know what was it, twenty two minutes mm. or something like that. And I, I remember did. sitting in the Donny Four that night, and I was just sitting behind the dugout, and I was apocalyptic with rage that Dara had been taken off because I felt he was the only one who was giving us an out ball at the time, and it wasn't out of any like. So one note of any loyalty to Dara or anything was just looking at the games that was unfolding, what was happening on the pitch, and the fact that it struck me and other people around me that our only outball and our only ability to get over the halfway line was Dara, and they had decided to take mm. him off. So I don't know, maybe Dara, if I remember yeah, so correctly, yourself and Dylan McGlade didn't go into I, the dressing I, room at no. halftime that night and when the teams came out. For a second half, you guys then went into the dressing yeah, room, you know, and I'd just be interested in maybe picking it up from there and what happened in the dressing room after the game, etc. you know? Yeah, I may as well dive into it. I'll rewind maybe two to three weeks beforehand just to probably give a, a more overall view on it. So I was probably, I was out of the team kind of post-lockdown, maybe five or six games before the whole leave, me leaving situation happened. Um, whether that was probably one, I, I didn't play great against Waterford and I found myself out of the team and whoever came in and did well kept their place and that's football I hold my hand up no problems there if I didn't play well and somebody comes in and they keep their spot happy, happy day that's that's the reality of football and every footballer will tell you that so I never went knocking the, on Fens door and like here why am I playing I, I should be playing this that and the other because you know yourself if you've done enough or not and at the time I hold my hand up I, I just didn't I didn't have a great game or two I was out of form and that was fine but the reality then was we weren't doing well as a team. We started dipping in form and nothing was changing. I wasn't getting a look in. I was training well. I was doing this. We played an 11 aside, 11v11. 11 11, um, and I did really well. I scored. And I said to him, like, why Why can't I? Why, why am I playing? Like, at this stage, I was getting fed up. I was like, I've done no worse, no better than anyone else at the moment. And I'm just not getting a crack. Um, and he said, right, we Finn Harps coming up away. Probably the biggest game of the season. I'll chuck you in do or die, sink or swim, basically. Went up, started, played well, set up the goal, came off with 10 minutes to go when we were seeing out the lead, we brought on fresh legs, we ended up conceding. It was one all. But I did well and I was happy. I was like, okay, there's five or six games left. I'm keeping my place in the team. Operation, keep Cork City alive and in the Premier Division is well underway. I'm going to be a big part of this. I was very, very motivated for that to happen because I was probably one of the only few that had been there from the year before and the, the Caulfield era and I was probably myself Chocks, Nultz, Benno, there's a few others that were from like last legs from that kind of era. And then I obviously found out I was in the shape of the Paps game. Um, I was under no, obviously there was pressure, but I, I knew I would have been playing from that performance against Harps. Went in and within 10 minutes, we were just 2-0 down. And you look around, I think that was the first game. Fans were back as well of all games. And heads just dropped. We were 2-0 down after 10 minutes. And... I seen my name go up on the board, or my number go up on the board after twenty something minutes. I, honestly, I just thought it was a mistake, and I just kind of carried on jogging. And I, the the whole team and the Pats team were looking around, being like, "What what is going on here?" Because as I said, if you play badly, I'd hold my hand up. Yeah, take me off. That's fine. I've done bad. But even like no matter how bad a performance is to be taken off after twenty six minutes, it was probably the most embarrassing moment in my life. But also the most furious I was in my life as well because. And I think most people would agree, it just wasn't justified. 
So I came off, myself and Dylan came off, and we brought on a centre mid and, a, and someone else, I think, I can't remember who it was, but it just tactically or logically didn't make sense. And then we were told not to go into the dressing room at half time, which I found weird because no matter what happens, you should always go in. Like, do you know what I mean? You're part of the same team. So we were just stuck in the dugout at half time. The second half, then we just we went in and got changed because we, we just we just weren't wanted on the bench when we were there. Every time they looked back, it was as if, will you ever just go kind of a thing and we're like okay fine here we go we'll go in we get showered we came out we watched from underneath the shed end stand and then after in the dressing room obviously we lost and that was probably the tipping point where we were like okay lads we genuinely could get relegated here like today was do or die and we just absolutely sank and I honestly think Gamble and Fenn thought they were getting the sack that night from how they reacted in the dressing room it was as if right lads you, you basically you've shafted us here with that performance I asked that's not how we sent you out to play. Like you've threw us under a bus here. Um, we're probably better off sacked at this stage. Like if that's what you're going to be giving us. And I, we just didn't expect them to still be there the next day. That was just the vibe in the dressing room without it being said straight out. That was how it felt from everyone. And then we rock up Monday morning and we go out. We did, they're still there, obviously another game to be built towards and go out on the, on the training pitch, we do our warm up and we're broken up into groups. And Fen lists out eight players on this team, eight players on that team, two, two, three floaters. And he goes, Anyone that's not on this team, you can go home. Anyone that's not named can go home. I'm looking around and it's just me and McGlade, still McGlade. And I, we look at each other and go, Is he, is he serious here? Like, what, what's going on? Like, why I'm contracted up here. I, should, I need to be training. Like, don't we have a game in a few days? And I just kind of stood on the sideline, like just like in Egypt for two or three minutes, being like, are they going to actually let us come in? And then we were kind of just eyeballed to look, just go inside. I think it could have been Benno. I think, to be fair to him, I think probably just felt bad at the situation, but whatever it was, it looked like, just go in and we'll, we'll deal with it later. So we went into the dressing room. I was absolutely fuming. Um, went out then onto the back pitch and just did my own runs to keep fit. Came in, showered, did a gym session. And while I was doing a gym session, Nulls came down, probably the messenger being like, look, Derek, the gaffer wants to see you. And I could tell from his face that it probably wasn't going to be good. I went in and there was no, there was no anger. There was no, like, he would, he just said, look, Derek, I'm going to tell you something straight out here. You're not going to play for me the rest of the season. No matter what you do, you're not getting a look in. You're, we'll rip up your contract now if you want, and you're free to go. And I obviously fought my case. I was like, look, what, what do you mean? Like I did well against Harps. And my first thought was he was actually going to pull me and apologize for whipping me after 22 minutes or whatever it was. That was what I thought I was being pulled in for. And then I very quickly realized that that wasn't going to be the case. And the, the biggest takeaway message I got from that meeting is I was ultimately told that I would potentially be better off looking for another career that wasn't in football. And that's how the meeting ended. Jesus, Jesus like, Christ. Well, if that's the opinion you have of my footballing ability, there is no point in me being here. No matter how much I love the club, how much I love my time there, no matter how turbulent it was, there was no coming back from that, to be honest. So I went out, I went straight down to Aina, who was equally as shocked as I was, spoke to him and been like, here, look, what what do I do? Like, do I have a leg to stand on? He was like, look, you can stay and train. You Legally, you have to train. But I was told I wouldn't be training with the first team, that I'd be doing my own gym sessions. I'd be doing my own stuff here, there and everywhere. So I rang my agent. And it didn't clock with me that that was the last day of the transfer window. Because of COVID, the transfer window had been pushed back. So it was deadline day and it was around 11 or 12 o'clock. 
and I had until five o'clock that day to become a free agent, which would allow me to sign for anyone anywhere in the world that wasn't in Ireland within the next couple of weeks because I was a free agent out of contract. So within 10 minutes of that meeting, I went straight down to Aina, agent on the phone, on loudspeaker, agreed everything, shook his hand, Aina apologising, being like, look, I'm sorry, you've been a good servant for the club. You should be sorry for how you've been treated effectively. And there was people were kind of saying the players before I had done it, been like, Dara, are you sure you don't want to just hang on a few days just in case they are sacked? Effectively, as brutal as that sounds, that was ultimately the dilemma I had. Do I gamble that they're not going to be here in a few days and I get back into the team? Or do I rot away for another five or six games until the season was over, wait three months for pre-season and not kick a ball until the following January? So football is, is higher. So I had to look after myself. and I was like, look, I need to start playing football regularly. Um, so I, I, signed, I signed the parting ways forms or whatever you want to call them. And that was it. I was, I was out the door and that was how my quarterly career ended. Literally, for me going in thinking I was getting an apology to becoming a free agent, it was a roller coaster of a Monday afternoon. <laughs> the following day, so, Neil Feng take away at that. and Joe Gamble parted ways with the club. Now, this, this was a strange one for us, okay, because we, and even Malenki on the CCSE forms, uh, he says, uh, given that the man who let him go was let go himself immediately afterwards, does Dara think anyone at the club knows what they're actually doing, it says here? <laughs> <laughs> I do, like, the, cl- the club, the board, the, everyone gets fierce stick, and I, uh, I see where it's all coming from, because ultimately they're second or third bottom in the first division, and that doesn't happen by accident. There's no flukes in that, so there's been a a downward slope in that, but I, I couldn't fault anyone in particular in the club from chairman right down to the volunteers. Everyone has worked their backside off from what I've seen in the last two years. It's just been a combination of a hundred different things that just have ultimately went wrong. But Fenn obviously going the day after me being released was not ideal in the slightest terms because I, he surely, in my eyes, would have potentially known that was on the cards. Oh, the, I don't board, know why he went out, would have went out of his way to go, look there, off you go. The, the board probably knew. Well, I but, suppose it's a Monday, which would have meant, there were no, those board meetings were on Monday nights, which would have meant, I presume they decided on the Monday night. Now, they knew, um, obviously Neil would have, he might have mentioned that he's letting you go. Um, it, it, was, it was just a strange one. It, it was very strange, you know. Prob- like, I don't think, uh, I could be wrong here, so I'll, I'll accept if I'm wrong, but I would be under the impression that they, the board might not have known what was about to go on with me when it happened. And they probably only found out after, maybe. Because when I went down and I would have been discussing what was going on, it was only after that people seemed to realise, okay, hang on a minute, this this is kind of wrong, this shouldn't be, this shouldn't be happening. So I don't know if the management between Gamble and Fenn had discussed it, or I don't know if it went over people's heads. I don't know how it happened, but... Ultimately, there was a 20-minute period where I was a Cork City player and then I wasn't. And there was no real intervention to stop it. It's And um, Dara, sorry, can I just ask you then? Because I know it, it, it comes quickly, but the story has always been that Colin Healy steps into the, the caretaker role and he wants Dara O'Connor back and he wants him in his side. Is that true? So, was there contact from Colin afterwards looking to get you back, etc., you know? Right, so this was, I might be off by 24 hours, give or take here, but obviously I 
sign all my forms on the Monday. Could you know off the top of your head what day Fen was sacked? Was it the Tuesday or the Wednesday? Tuesday. Um, Tuesday. Okay, I'm just, Tuesday night, I think. So Wednesday. Neil, Fen was gone on the Wednesday. Right. So I'm just putting my timeline together. I went in to Bishopstown in the evening to do a gym session, and I ultimately was in the gym when he got sacked. I seen him come in and I seen him go out while I was doing a gym session. And I had a, a wee bit of a wry smile on me and I seen the board <laughs> I always come in. And he he see me. I seen him literally come out of his come out of his office. And I, this is the this is the, the human side of me. I felt bad for him. Honestly, because I, I genuinely I'd seen how hard he'd worked at Cork and it just didn't come off. And this is me putting personal stuff aside. I at that very moment I genuinely was like, Oh, this this is football is so harsh. Like and even though that was me twenty four hours previous, I, I genuinely felt bad for him because if I met him today, I'd I probably would chat away to him for half an hour. I genuinely didn't have that much of a bad word to say about him. I I genuinely really liked him up until he told me to go. I didn't have any disagreement with him. But I would have been in the gym, obviously, when he got sacked. And coming out of my gym session, I bumped into healers who was coming in. And they obviously didn't clock with me that what was going on is that he was obviously getting appointed as interim gaffer or permanent, whatever it was at the time. But he was sounding me out basically and saying, oh, so what's your story? Have have the forms gone through this, that, and the other? And I ultimately said, like, yeah, I think it's all gone through. And he was like, oh, that, that's, that's a shame because... It, you, you never know in football how things quickly can change. So to me, that was probably along the lines of him sussing out if the forms had gone through, if I was actually still capable of being a Cork City player. But I didn't realise at the time, obviously, that he was probably coming in to meet the board to agree to be manager. So I just brushed it off at the time. It was only a day or two later that it clocked when he was announced. Okay. Um, yeah, it's it's one of the strangest football stories of all time. Um, there are some just, I suppose there's a few other questions here. Uh, Brian Fitz wants to know, how would you compare the team spirit togetherness at City compared to the other dressing rooms you've been part of, so UCD or Cliftonville? And was there a good team spirit and togetherness at Cork City? There, there was, to be, to be fair. Like, I, I'd still be in touch with five or six of the lads to this very day on a regular basis from that uh, 2020 team, ultimately the, the team that got relegated. So you could say we were, we got along very, very well to the point that we were probably too friendly. Looking back now that I've been in more, let's say senior setups or like, um, I'd say obviously once I've been in all the dressing rooms, I look back on that we were probably too friendly that we weren't digging each other out of, on top of each other as we should have been from a standards point of view If training was bad because your best mate gave the ball away. You know, lads were probably too timid to give out to them. Whereas if I'm training now at Air or for the Cliftonville, if they gave the ball away, you're on top of them straight away where we were just too friendly. Like we were such a good group of lads, like off the pitch. We were so close. We did everything together. We played golf together. We went for coffees together. Like it was just a great group. And I think that could potentially have almost led to us being too nice to each other on the pitch. And I don't know if that showed from the fans or it definitely showed in hindsight and training that, that that could have been the fault. Um, or at least a part of the fault anyway. So the togetherness in that dressing room was really good, but in a bad way, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Gareth Barry uh, on Twitter said, did you feel more pressure playing at City than you did when you were at UCD? And what's the difference 
uh, been with UCD to other um, League of Ireland clubs. So obviously Cork City come with a big stigma. Oh, big fans, lots of fans, lots of pressure. Uh, we're absolute absolute bastards on social media. And uh, we've got forums, which are a nightmare. And there's this podcast at the moment, which I'm telling you now, these three overweight guys criticizing players. Um, but we, do, we don't actually criticize them. But do you feel much, it was, was there a lot more pressure playing for Cork City than, than the rest of them? I I feel looking back and I came in with no pressure because I was probably seen as a gamble. I would argue none of you knew who I was until I was signed. Like, would that be correct? That's a lie. That's a lie. We all May- did. we all did. I didn't. Uh, I I'm going to say I didn't either. To be honest, I'm going to admit that too. Exactly. I did, Derek, because we were chatting on Twitter about setting up. Um, oh, magic football. Were, yes, I was setting up. That was me looking so, for. Yeah, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was I was setting up a computer science when I was doing my computer. I started my computer science masters, and I was obviously looking at a project to do. And I had this idea of doing fantasy football for the League of Ireland, which I thought was a great idea. And I asked around, and nobody else thought it was a great idea. So then I looked up on Twitter, and I found some other strange person thought it was a good idea. Me- messaged him. <laughs> and ultimately led to be you, like. But that's that's a story for another day. But yeah, going back to the pressure thing, like I I came in virtually an unknown. I wasn't this sought after target. There wasn't all announced Dara or sign O'Connor. Do you know what I mean? There was no nobody was calling for me to be signed for Cork City. And when I was a when I was signed, it was a surprise to probably the entire country. Nobody was expecting it. So I came in. Nobody knew what I was. Nobody knew. A lot of people probably didn't even realize where I played. It was just an unknown signing. And if I did well, fair enough. If not, I was a gamble brought in from UCD and would have been tossed aside like the other lads that came in and didn't do well. So it was only really the f- when I started to do well, those first three or four games, and as you said, the, the Pat Dolans, the Irish Messies, the Mick McCarty, oh yeah, he did well. That's probably only when the pressure started because then I was like, okay, I'm after putting in the performance of my life against Dundalk. That's all the Cork City fans have ever seen me do. That's expected now every single week. So I set the bar probably too high too soon. And I, to be fair, I think I carried it off up until I got injured. I, I genuinely was putting in good performances by and large until the injury. And as we discussed previously, that whole kind of capitulation happened for that season and never fully recovered. But I never really found the pressure to be that too absorbing because it was always just praise. I'd never gotten fully slated only until towards the latter end of the, the court duty career. So. Uh, I didn't think there was there was too much pressure, no, because I was doing well originally. Do you know what I mean? That's okay. Um, obviously, you, you left then. You signed for Cliftonville. Um, Dylan O'Flaherty wanted to know: was um, getting let go from a city a blessing in disguise? Considering you did so good at Cliftonville, and now you're over in Scotland. So, football is a funny game. Um, was it a blessing in disguise? Yes. <laughs> because <laughs> I'm, I'm not gonna lie if if i wasn't called in and that, that's that's why i can't be too bitter about the whole thing because if fen didn't call me in that particular day and he probably didn't copy the transfer window the last the, the deadline day if he didn't call me in on that monday if he'd call me in on that tuesday i haven't i've no idea where i'd be playing football i'd have i wouldn't have been able to play football until the following january february in the league of ireland i was so lucky that it happened that day and within a week to two weeks, I'd agreed to go to Cliftonville. Their season was just starting. I had 36 games, brand new season, play regularly, do well, whole new audience to impress, fresh slate, do well and get a move. Whereas if I didn't go up north, I wouldn't have been able to play until the start of this League of Ireland mm. season. So I effectively would have been going, bear in mind it was a pandemic year, which already cut out three or four months of the season, shortened the 15 games, which I only played five or six. 
So yeah. my entire footballing career in that year would have been just wrote off if that if I wasn't called in on that particular day. So in a weird way, everything aligned very well because I got a fresh start well. to play regular regular football again in a new league for a club that I genuinely really enjoyed up in Cliftonville under a manager who wanted me and went out of his way to bring me up. I'm playing for a team that was playing good football and everything just worked out. I broke into the team, did really well, finished the season with, I think it was eight or nine goals and 11 or 12 assists. It was just, everything just worked out perfectly. Do you know what I mean? Whereas if I stayed at Cork, no offence to you, Cork, I would have got relegated and probably be playing in the first division right now. <laughs> yeah. Which would have been There's no, there's no offence. We're, we're, we're realistic. We know exactly. The Yeah, so yeah, a blessing in disguise is, is it. Have you been keeping track of Cork City? Are you in touch with some of the players still? Um, yes, 100%. I've, I watch every game, for better and for worse. Like I, I watch all the games. I still am in the group chat with Rob Slevin, David Harrington, Gordon Walker, Alec Byrne, all these lads, I've been ta- I've been touching them regularly. Like I'm um, delighted to see Gordon actually, and because I would have become friends with him towards the end of last season. And it's funny, I remember in the off season, I remember dropping him in to Secret Garden for a night out, right? And this after off season, obviously, and he wasn't a Cork City player, so he was leg waving drinks. You know what I mean? But he was obviously had a few in him, and he was talking to me how much he'd love to play for Cork City, and how much he would do anything because he was actually in on trial with Fenn. At the That's beginning right, yeah. of the last uh, in the original preseason, and more or less said he'd play for free. He just wanted to play for Cork City, like, and he wasn't given a look, and he he wasn't brought on, and ultimately he went back to play. I think it was the UCC. Yeah, you know, we're big I, fans of Gordon Walker, aren't we? We yeah, like I, Gordon I, Walker. I actually. Actually. He's... He he was he was in the car with me, steamed. To be fair to him, going into Secret Garden, saying, "Dara, I promise you now," and he probably barely remembers it. I promise you now, I'll play for Cork City in February. I'm going to work so hard. This is my last night out. I'm going to work so hard, and I'm going to go in. And I, I set up a little gym um, program for him and got helped him out with that and ended up signing word for word exactly what he said in the car. He said he'd love to play Cork City. He'd play for free. He just wants to play for the club. And then he texted me around to me a few weeks before the season, Darren, I'm actually signing for Cork City. Can you believe that? He, he's one of those people that, like, if you had more people that were genuinely just willing to play for the club, that a lot of people come in and they're just they're using the club or for mm-hmm. their own benefit or they're, the lads coming over on loan or they're just obviously having a selfish outlook on things but yeah so to answer that question a long way around I'd, uh, I'd still be in touch with likes of himself uh, Slev who's obviously coming back from injuries at a tough time Alec uh, Harry all, all these guys so I'd, I'd, be, I'd still be in, in touch with them and I'd watch all the games I'm the first to, to slag them if they do something wrong on the pitch so I'm, I've turned into one of you now as a fan do you know what I mean <laughs> <laughs> it, it, any, it's funny any chance you could put in a good word for us though they definitely listen well they do but they hate us but I, and, and, and we're, we're just fans but actually it's funny you say that about Gordon Walker because we, we actually noticed that, that they, he's he's very hungry when he, you can see that he wants to play for the team you know when I mean even when we were down in Wexford and we draw nil all I think Gordon Walker got the ball at the edge of the box and he just drove with it as far as he can now we were playing 10 men behind the ball so there was no one ahead of him but it's funny that you say that because I think as fans, we can see that um, definitely with, with, with Gordon Walker. He's been left out the last couple of weeks, unfortunately. But um, yeah, I think I think we, we can actually see that. We can see players who are who want to play, you know, properly. Like, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying players don't want to play, but you can actually see that. As fans, we can see on the pitch who, who the, exactly the type of player you're talking about right there. We can see that. And we can see Gordon Walker as one of them. Yeah, definitely. That's funny. That's funny, actually. That's funny. Um, 
the Damien realised halfway through that he was starting to dig a hole for himself and he drastically tried to get out of it as quickly as he could. <laughs> the um it's, it's it's not going too well from at the moment. Um it's individual errors and stuff are costing us at the moment. We have started playing much better over the last couple of weeks. Um, yeah, I like I've I've honestly I've like tuned in as remember like I was that team, you know, what, the last what, couple of weeks. I've I've watched I've watched all the games and like it's it's just silly little errors and to be honest, that's probably the the, the story of the last two years for the most part. But like I remember watching the, the Bray game, right? Tuna luck. I think oh. Dylan McGlay sorry to bring it up, obviously. I think Dylan Dylan McGlay got taken off with a few minutes to go. I think I don't know if we were two 0 up or two one up, but I remember watching it anyway. He he got taken off, and I remember just kind of turning off the stream, being like, oh, "Okay, grand." And ten minutes later, swiping up on Twitter, Bray equalised ninety fifth minute. Uh, heads up, everyone's heads absolutely gone, and that just that just summed it up like you were two 0 up with five minutes to go, and for probably no fault of effort because I, they, I watched like they left everything out there, but they just still managed to concede two goals. Like, mm, yeah, and it's just. It just nearly turns into a habit. Like, do you know what I mean? They say that winning is a habit. And I remember that that Caulfield season where they went so many games unbeaten and they just kept going. Even when you play badly, you win games. Sometimes it's the other way around where no matter how well you play, if you're in a habit of losing or not doing well, no matter how well you play, you suddenly find a way to not win the game. And I think that's a very important factor to con- like to consider when you look at football teams like yeah, we 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 know now that look we're we're rebuilding for next season. We're we're okay with a, with the season and the lads getting a bit of experience in the first division this year. And I think next year we're gonna next year we're gonna expect a lot. But um, the um, just a couple more. Christoph wants to know: Are you enjoying your moves? You've gone to Air. You, you know you're you're over in the Scottish Championship. What's what's the expectations for Air for for this year? What what are you what are you hoping to do? Yeah, so the the Scottish Champ reminds me very similarly. To the first division in Ireland, it's a ten-team league, very competitive. Playoff spots go down to fourth or fifth or something like that. Two get relegated, I believe. So basically, you've something to play for, no matter how well and how poorly you're doing. Um, and it's one of those that it's impossible to call where teams are going to finish. I mean, bar the teams that bar maybe one team like say like Kilmarnock who got relegated, they'd be expected to, to go straight up, let's say. But there's probably seven or eight teams there that are in with playoffs and that's that's probably our goal because they just fought off relegation last year. New manager, new faces, new team. And it's a new challenge for me, do you know what I mean? It's it is exciting. I could have probably went to it could have went elsewhere for, for more money, let's say, but from a purely career point of view, I think a good year in the Scottish champ can can set you on your way. I was yeah. I went over, I, I trained at um, Livingston in the Scottish Prem and did, did well. I went away to Marbella for a week, scored a goal and was enjoyed it. But it was one of those that if if it was to work out and I went there, you're probably not going to play every game. Whereas I think if you remove mm. the ego from football and if you continuously play every week at a certain level, you'd always gradually step by step move up rather than going from here to here. Sometimes I think in football, it's easier to go in small increments like that and Northern Ireland to Scottish champ is probably a relatively to it's a step up but it's not a massive step up and then the step up from Scottish champ to Scottish Prem if that ever comes about again it's a step up but it's not a massive step up rather than doing your your big jump and trying to survive I think playing every week getting your stats up getting your goals enjoying your football I think there's a lot of merit to being happy while playing football and I don't think enough people do that 
Um, yeah, so there's a, there's a there's a few actually. JSKB has gone off to Livingston. Conor McCarthy, I suppose, went from he went to Saint Mirren, Mirren went right. into the Prem. There's rumours of him now being linked with a move to Rochdale yeah. in the UK. Lee, uh, Liam Scales, uh, XUCD teammate, is, isn't he been linked with Celtic? Is that the he, same guy been linked with Celtic? Yeah, correct. He's he's Celtic. I've I've been in That's school with Liam since I was five six years of age. I li- lived with him in UCD for three or four years, so he'd be one of my best mates. Oh, um, okay. Now it's by no means confirmed, but it is linked by all accounts. Um, and do, do you live? Is air close to Glasgow? Yeah, forty minutes away. Oh, I should advise. Was that the order? Was it? <laughs> that's that. Listen, I, I, I don't, I, I, I don't know if anything's fully going ahead. I'm going off what I'm seeing on Twitter now. But if it was to go ahead, it would be an unbelievable move for him. Like that's as, as an Irish man, that's that's the pinnacle. Like if you were to ask me where I'd love to play in three years' time, you. you you choose Celtic over any club in the world, I think. Bar maybe a Cork City team that's winning the double, but that could be a few years off yet. <laughs> and honestly, um, like, I, I think that's that's the biggest regret of the whole Cork thing is that I never, bar maybe two games, Dundalk in the President's Cup and Waterford the second game, I never got to play in front of a packed Turner's Cross when Cork City was doing well. From what I heard over the last five or six years, it seemed like it was the best best thing possible. And I just never really got to see it. Do you know what I mean? It was, I think, the, my best experience in Turner's Cross, and this is actually a sad thing to say, was beating Finn Harps at home 1-0 before the pandemic when Boston nearly died in the first half. Walking. <laughs> Speaking of Boston, we all know he's a top-notch keeper and a really nice, nice guy. How good was he? <laughs> Honestly, he was a lot better than he showed. And I could, honestly, I think I said this to Declan as well. You could say that about a lot of the lads in that team. I know you'll mention that there's a lot of flops, so-called flops that came in that ultimately they did just didn't perform well. But individually, hand in my heart, 90% of them, if you look at them in training, you would say he's a good player. He's a bit about him. And it was just that mentality or that dynamic of coming into a struggling team. It was just so hard to, to do well coming in from at the outside they thought they were coming into this nice cushy league, maybe coming over from England that oh, this would be easy for me. And it just wasn't. But in training, you could just see the majority of them had something about them. Boston in training would pull off unbelievable saves. And I actually thought he started well. But it was, I think it was the Munster Senior Cup when he decided to play as a number six. I think that was the start of his downfall. <laughs> but, a lo- lovely guy, barely spoke. But like, I, I wouldn't have a bad word to say about it. I, I thought he was a great keeper. Like, But I... I, I don't think we should have got rid of Ty Ryan. That was my own personal opinion. I thought he was flying with us, but ultimately, mm. ultimately that was the decision that was made. So um, I wasn't, I didn't have any say in that. <laughs> yeah, Ty Ryan, we, yeah, that's... We, that was a bizarre one, wasn't it? You know, we're, we're all in agreement there, and it's, it's yeah. something that we wonder. But lucky and, enough, we got Boston... Yeah, yeah, but so. Ty Gray and Ty Gray, no, I, I would have preferred Ty Gray and Wayne, you know that. Um, you, so you've set up your own company, is G Elite Coaching? G Elite Coaching, yeah. So myself and uh, my best mate from Dublin, who did a master's in sports science and strength conditioning, and he's all these qualifications, and I have the practical side of it from, from the last five, six years. Um, basically, just we look after kind of under 19 League of Ireland players, a few first team lads, we yo yo at Shelburne, we have a few lads that I like to Gordon, Slev, Harry and all these lads that look after them as well. Obviously I don't charge those lads. But we just it's like a performance coaching thing. So like we give them their gym programs, their wellness, their recovery. If um if somebody plays sixty minutes, we'll give them a, a running program to do the next day to make up the remaining thirty minutes. It's it's just a nice little side gig because ultimately as a professional footballer you've so much free time it's feels like a shame not to do anything in your spare time. 
like I'm like I, I finished yeah. training today. I was home, showered, and home to relax at one o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon. Like, do you know what I mean? What else? In what other job would you have that much spare time? So I just felt like I had to do something. Like, do you know what I mean? There's, just, there's only so much Netflix and PlayStation you can do. But um, no, listen, that's that's isn't it's not a massive bankroller by any means. Do you know what I mean? But it keeps me occupied and it keeps me yeah. learning about the game as well. Do you know what I mean? From a strength and conditioning point of view, because ultimately. You're, you're probably not going to retire on League of Ireland, Scottish champion, Scottish wages, are you? So you need something to kind of keep, keep you going and set you up. You'll have to uh, sponsor a few podcasts, so for us. <laughs> we're, the, we're, we're the ones looking for sponsorship for <laughs> at the moment, to tell you that much. But, the, um, uh, just, I love I've the story. One here, you've given me a shout out, so that's, that's, that's very business. <laughs> Connor Walsh on Instagram said, would you ever come back to Cork City? And you'd say, I think you answered a bit ago, you'd love it. It's the only place you'd come back to. A, a successful Cork City. And, and you've kind of answered, you have answered that, haven't you? I, I would, I, absolutely. I think even when I had actually agreed to go to Pats, I remember it was a few days and I played, we played Rovers at home. I think we beat them one all. I scored my first goal. And I came back and I remember texting my, my family and friends, being like, geez, actually, I can't leave this because it was such, that was such a good atmosphere that day. And I scored my first goal and all the fans after, and you know yourself, there's, there's kids handing you jellies when you come out of Turner's Cross. There's fans photos. It just felt like a, a home to me and I loved it. Like, And I just didn't experience that enough. And I'd love to experience it when everything is going well and they're winning every week and the whole city is behind you. And it really is that kind of Cork against Ireland mentality, really, isn't it? Like, it's just a shame I never probably didn't got more than a handful of games when when it turned out to be like that so no i would i definitely definitely would be something i would love to do in the future there are my questions now do you guys do you have any questions for dara i just jump in with one more there before we finish up if you don't mind yeah dara forgetting that forgetting this podcast and forgetting our associations with cork city and everything else but if you go back 20 years ago players only had to worry about newspaper articles then you had online fans forums then you had social media twitter and instagram now you have podcasts and fan tv and all these kind of things and i'm sure there's other innovations coming down the down the road again what's that like from a player's perspective i mean do you take notice? Are you forced to take notice in, in so much that you can't ignore it? It's everywhere. Or is it something that you can just set aside and just say, look, these fat lads on forums are talking out through their arse and I'm not going to take any notice of it. You know, I mean, <laughs> how does that how does that whole dynamic work for a, for a professional footballer? Yeah, so like I can only really talk, I suppose, from my own experience, because there's probably not something players would talk amongst themselves, because if they're getting abused on Twitter or they're reading something that calling them so-and-so, they're not going to bring that up with us because it's only embarrassing themselves. Do you know what I mean? So from my own experience, like I wouldn't go out of my way to find anything. Do you know what I mean? But like in my early days at Cork, I'd be sent stuff or I'd be like, I'd naturally be scrolling through Twitter and I'd see, oh, at Derek, I'd be tagged and say, oh, Derek, it's such a good game. Sign a five-year contract, do this, the oh, best player ever, blah, blah, blah. After one game, do you know what I mean? You get these yeah. people that go way over the hill praising you and, in the early days, it probably gets to your head. You're like, Jesus, yeah, I did have a really good game, blah, blah, blah. They're, they're tits talking sense. And then the same person obviously will tag you and say, Jesus, how'd you miss that sitter today? I'd do better than that and whatnot. And you get people sending you screenshots of people talking on forums, Twitter, Facebook, this messages talking about you. And in the early days, it's flattering because I obviously came from UCD where we had no fans. And when I mean, I could score a triple hat trick and it would probably just get mentioned on twitter once do you know what i mean it was just there was no exposure just suddenly every touch being analyzed and scrutinized at cork that in the early days when i was doing really well 
it was obviously flattering to read all these things and you're reading the Irish Messi comments and the Pat Dolans and the Mick McCarty's and you've, you're you're taking it all in because it's positive. But yeah. then it's one of those things, oh, you have a bad game. You just know internally when you've played badly, you know not to go on Twitter, you know not to go on Facebook, you know not to talk to people that you know will potentially slag you. And then if it's consecutively happening, you just mute yourself on Twitter. It's all variations of your name. So like Darrow with the apostrophe, without the apostrophe, Darrow spelled wrong, Connor spelled with an E. You just mute all these variations of your name. And you don't go out of your way to find things. Um, Now, I've never, hand on my heart, I've never got, yet anyway, Touchwood, got a a message saying, you are a disgrace, you are a terrible player. Nobody's indirectly messaged you. It's just passive fans that you follow or you follow back and then suddenly they're slating you. But... As you said, like we know we are a individually better footballer than who is slagging you. you know what I mean? As, as black and white as that is, <laughs> Sorry, yeah. the person that is slagging you, more 99.9% of the time, the person that is slagging me or somebody else, I or them are a better footballer than the person that's slagging you. And that's the only way you can morally digest it that like, okay, you're slagging me. Fair enough. Let's what go down. Do you know? What do Listen, like I, I watch Man United and I say, Jesus, oh, Jesus, McTominay, like, what are you doing? Like, I could do better than that. But the reality is I can't. You just, as a fan, I go to Old Trafford, I watch Ireland games, and I'm the, you're on top of people and you're frustrated because the team you love isn't doing well and you take it out on them. But you're taking, them, you're taking it out on them, the player, not the person. And I think a lot of people need to, need to process that. Like If I'm going down to, to watch a game or in live or on TV, you're obviously going to react to bad performances, good performances. It doesn't mean you don't think they're a bad person. And ultimately, I think that's where footballers need to kind of draw the line and process it in that kind of black and white way that more often than not, it just is not personal. Like, Yeah. So yeah. we should take on three Cork City players in a three-on-three match. <laughs> and Honestly, then we will never be able to talk about them again. If, if, me, if me, Alex, Slaver, Gordon, or any of these played three you three in a, in a 3v3 down the Maradike, <laughs> I, it would potentially be triple figures. Like There's no potential oh, about it. <laughs> There's, no There's no potential. We, well, we know. Well, I'm, I'm, allow, I'm, allow, I'm allowing for one of you to try to like, break our legs or something, narrow down the... <laughs> it doesn't... It, well, Even like that, if that's, we had... that's, that's, what, that's what we always have to kind of remind ourselves. Like, and it's the equivalent of me slagging Mbappe for missing a one-on-one or something. That like, oh Mbappe, how you're so bad. Like Mbappe is ten times the players I'm ever going to be. Like, do you know what I mean? He should never ever take offense to what I say to him because that's the reality. Is and the majority of the time, the frustration is justified. If you're giving out to a player, if you're saying Dara played badly, the reality is I did play badly. Do you know what I mean? It's sometimes. <laughs> you know, more often than not, you, you do speak sense. You're not, you may not be good footballers, but you understand football. Do you know what I mean? Like the the frustrations are warranted more often than not. Like, would you agree? Yeah, that's. that's oh, have we that's just been challenged to a three on three game against three <laughs> professional footballers? No, no, under no circumstances. <laughs> I think a penalty shooter might give it a little bit of a go, but <laughs> not even a penalty shooter. Will you give us a break? Just <laughs> <laughs> no and see what happens. There's, there's <laughs> no hope. There's no hope. There's no hope. And um, listen, Dar, we've taken up loads of your time. I do appreciate you coming on in association with MSCCasino.com. By the way, We're, we've a sponsor. You see, so they're, they're, oh, very good. They're, they're paying. They're paying. They're paying for nothing. Actually, they pay for all of our. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, we, we might send you on a Just Eat voucher. Actually, you wouldn't eat that, so it doesn't matter. A mug. We're going to send you a tote tap. Number mug. three. <laughs> yes. 
Um, <laughs> thank you, Dara, for joining the pod tonight. No problem. I hope I didn't uh, stitch up too many people, but uh, there's a lot of things, I suppose, that I did need to say to clear things up because ultimately it, it probably was a, a big deal at the time and a lot of people were wondering. So just to finally reiterate and on all that I did say, like 99.999% of people I came across in Cork City were all had Cork City's best interest at heart, genuinely. And I believe that from board right down to volunteer, it was just so many people had just, they were all rooting for the same cause, but just in their own individual way, I thought, from the entire two years, that so many people had just had different opinions on certain matters, rather than rowing in together, everything seemed to be kind of just divided a wee bit. And I think that kind of shone through over the two years, like. Okay. Uh, Wayne, did you, were you going to yeah, say something? Yeah, I said one last question because you can probably edit it out or delete it, or whatever. But that game in Luxembourg when um, Carl Shepherd took over the managerial position and basically got Kevin <laughs> O'Connor on to take the free kick, what did you make of that? Because that was just bizarre. It it was right, and I fully agree because I had just been taken off as well. So I remember being on the bench with this all unwinding. However, in hindsight, before the game, I tell you. We have a free kick in the last minute to qualify to play Rangers in front in Ibrox, probably bringing in hundreds of thousands of pounds or euros, should I say, in revenue. And we need to score a free kick. Who on the panel are you putting up? Who, if you're pick, pick, picking before the game, who you want to take a free kick? Who, who, who do you want on it? Yeah, but you don't. I don't think you bring someone on. This is my football manager experience here now talking. <laughs> but you no, know, and I agree because if you look at obviously you could look at the whole Euro situation, bringing on Rashford and Sancho, and it didn't end well. Granted, yes, but from a purely logical point of view of who has a successful free kick ratio in the last couple of years for Cork City, who would you have rathered have taken the free kick? Well, yeah, O'Connor, it's like when Shepard missed the penalty in the first leg. I think it was this game, and he just showed away. No, no one wanted to take the penalty. What you want is someone to grab it and go, this I is wanted to, I wanted to take it, by the way, but I, I couldn't get myself on the pitch. Well, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> I think the strange thing about the free kick... Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, no, I was just going to say, I think the strange thing about the free kick was it wasn't so much that Kevin... Well, it was that Kevin was brought on, but it, was that, it wasn't John Cotter who made the change. It, it appeared to be Carl Shepard was the one who took over the managerial duties and made the call and, and brought Kevin O'Connor on, not the designated manager at the time who did it, you know? Do, do you know, it's, it's a bit hazy, but from my, from my gathering, I think, I think it was Dan Casey who got fouled, right? Or somebody along those lines got fouled and they, somebody was down receiving treatment. So there was a two or three minute period where we all had to kind of mull over what was happening. And I remember Kev, I was sitting beside Kev and he said something along the lines of, oh, I wish I could take this, you know. And then somebody else heard that and kind of repeated it. And then at the same time, Shep, I think, came over and was like, Kev, like, do you fancy this? Like, do you think, you, do you think you, you'll score? Like, do you, do you back yourself? And Kev was like, yeah, yeah, I do. And everyone kind of just looked at Cots being like, yes, no, what do we think? He just kind of, it was panic stationed really because everyone probably knew I was on the line. There was so much money on the line going through the next round. Ultimately, I think if we'd score that goal, Cork may not be where they are today. Yes. And that's that's the reality. That's probably the reality of it. If we play Rangers away, TV deals, everything, money, assigned players probably have a bigger budget. Cots maybe doesn't get sacked. Do you know what I mean? There's so much riding on that potential one free kick. Now, if Kev's listening, sorry to put all that pressure on that kick. <laughs> Ultimately, he clearly already told it over the bar, didn't he? But, like, I think Cots just kind of agreed without saying yes or no 
we, we just said, Kev, like, go on, just take it. It was the last kick of the game. We probably had nothing to lose. And listen, if he scores it, check for the manager, managerial job. You know what I mean? It's as simple as that. But ultimately, he missed. And we are where we are. But I, I probably wouldn't read too much into it because, as I said, if I'd asked you who's our best free kick taker before the game, you're probably saying Kev O'Connor, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, it's just probably yeah. fans are probably more annoyed at the manner it was carried out than the actual mm. how like rather than black and white of it of Kevin Connor last minute to take a free kick. It was more how it happened. I think that annoyed people rather than it actually happening. Very much so. Right, guys. Which is very we'll valid to, point. We'll have to wrap up. Uh, Dara, thanks so much for coming on the pod. Um, best of luck with Air United, and um, I hope. Uh, we hope to get you on a tree on tree sometime in the summer, maybe. Um, no, what? answer me this, right? Who 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 who's your three? Who who are you picking Stop to play against? Who's, who's our who's our oh, three? Is it to play against? No. Who, yeah. None of them. We would never play any of them. As I said, the under the under fourteens, we'd have a go off them if you can wrap up two of them kids. We'd have to maybe not play yourself. It's been a, such a pleasure. Uh, thanks for joining us on the the other Three Amigos podcast, Dara, and the best of luck uh, in the future. So, Thank do you. you. Say goodbye, and lads. Yeah, Dara, yeah, thanks a million that. for that. Much appreciated, sir. Much no sweat. Uh, I'm just the other Three Amigos podcast with Damien Shreenan, Wayne Mullins, and Declan McCormack. Three lads, one podcast. <laughs>